you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. There we are. Now we're live. Good morning, Marilyn. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Fantastic. Yes, I've been looking forward to this for a while. And uh, this is a new thing. I'm usually I usually start at nine. And so we we had to. Unfortunately for me, the reason we had to do it is. I have to go down and contend with property tax stuff this morning in L.A., which I'm not really looking forward to doing Mm -hmm. because they can't seem to to get their stuff together down here. So I'm, that's where I'm on my way to after we get done. So we get to this early, but I'm an early morning bird. So getting up at five is awesome for me. I don't really mind doing that at all. I like early mornings. I like the fog. I like the coolness and uh, just kind of the newness of the day. So I appreciate you uh, rearranging your time for me. So no, fantastic. Like I said, it works right. out for me too. I'm an early bird too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, well, Miss Marilyn, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and, uh, we're going to dive right in. We got a few things that we get to talk about. This hour is going to go by quick because, um, I mean, we've got nine 11 and we've got a book and we've got your daughter. And so we've got, we've got some stuff to dabble into, which is going to be awesome to, to hear and get to know you a little bit more. So with no further ado, Ms. Marilyn, go ahead and introduce yourself where you live and we'll get started. So obviously I'm Marilyn Morales. Um, uh live in Maple Shade, New Jersey. I actually have only been in New Jersey for about 17, 18 years. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, born and raised right there. I've been a nurse for over 30 years. I'm board certified as a holistic nurse, and I'm an author of an upcoming book, When the Answer is No, Finding Purpose Through Pain, which we're going to launch together in January of 2023. (laughs) Yes, we're going to be sharing that stage that day, so I'm looking forward to that. We're going to, we're going to, uh, I've told everybody we kind of there's a, a I don't know about ten to fifteen of us authors that are uh, going to be together and we get to all launch that same day and get to enjoy each other get to know each other in uh, in I think it's Philadelphia are we going to be in Philadelphia Is Cherry Hill we're going to be in Cherry Hill New Jersey oh so you're gonna we're going to be in New Jersey so you got that so you got you got that's right you got kind of that New York New Jersey I guess did you adopt the New Jersey uh, uh, accent. Is that well, what... let's, listen, my, my Brooklyn accent will come through, especially when I'm angry. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes I say I speak in tongues because my parents are from Puerto Rico. So, you know, when I'm really, really angry, I channel my mom and the Spanish comes out and the Spanglish goes everywhere. <laughs> that's what I call speaking in tongues. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's good. That's good. Raul's just saying hi to us this morning. He's on listening. <clears throat> hey, good morning, Raul. I was just with Raul for the last three days we were doing flashpoint 4.0 with austin haynes yes i had a good interview with him too he was fun uh, it was fun uh talking to him too he's a good dude and i like him yeah okay so what let's just dab right in so we, we we have um we have i think january 26th it's going to be upon i mean is it january 6th right so seventh and eighth. Yeah. Sixth, seventh and eighth. That's right. I'm going to go out a little early. I think too. I think I got some of these women. I'm going to do some women's self-defense class with while I'm out there. I think I'm going to go early for that. So that'd be wonderful. I'd like to join one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to make sure I'm out there for Danielle's birthday and we're going to get started. So uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about what you do. First of all, if you're reading this stuff for 30 years, you've been a nurse, right? right. And uh, let's talk about what that looks like and, and what nursing, what, what type of nursing you started with and where you're at today and, and what changed. And I think the nine 11 story will probably come in here. Cause that's where it kind of changed for you. Uh, I believe. 
Yeah. So an interesting thing about me, and it's not unique to me, but what, one thing that is not common is that I became a nurse at the age of 17 years old. So there are these two specialized high schools in New York City that you can, it's like a trade school, right? So I went to Clara Barton for the health professions. And in there, you could become a licensed practical nurse. So we spent two weeks at the hospital, two weeks in school to make sure that we got everything done. And at the end of that, you sit for your nursing boards and you become a, a nurse that you can practice in the hospital. You can practice, which is what I did initially in the hospital. I worked for an agency, actually, where they sent me to different locations because I was in college. So I was doing college full time and I was working full time. Um, that's now that's kind of unique. Now, do they still have that for for teenagers? Is that uh, is I, that a viable? I don't know right now because I will tell you a lot of schools have to had to change what they do because of COVID. So when COVID came around the last two years, there were not places for these students to go to, even in traditional nursing schools, because you were restricted because you were trying to limit how many people were coming into the facilities and potentially spread COVID. So I don't know what they were able to do because I know in New Jersey, there are courses for teenagers to become uh, certified nursing assistants. So those people that help the nurses on the floor that actually do that, those tasks like bathing patients, taking care of them, feeding them. Um, and they had trouble being able to continue those programs because there were not a lot of places for them to go to because of COVID. So if wow, that's, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'd love to find yeah. out if they're still doing that, but I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's unique. It's good to hear that they had, I mean, when I was in school, <clears throat> you know, we had all kinds of trade stuff machine shop, yeah. plastic shop. I mean, I made skateboards in school when I was going to school. It was awesome. And, you know, auto shop, you know how to work on your car and stuff like that. But yeah, we had, it, it was good. To, that's good to hear that. Get out there and have some trade schools out there. So young and being able to do that and getting out to the working world and not yeah. have to go to into the world with a hundred thousand dollar debt from college. You know what I mean? So absolutely. New York is yeah. known for that. I was known for that, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, is being able to apply to a school and not go to the school that you were zoned into depending on where you lived, but they have given you opportunities to actually experience what you may want to do in the future. Cause that's a great way to find out before you get to college, whether that's a field that you want to enter or not, you know, mm, yeah. not everybody that started the program ended the program. So I was just fortunate and blessed that that's what I wanted to do. Figured out very early on that, yes, this is the field for me and continued on then. Um, so even after that, you know, so I worked in different, different places, wherever the agency sent me, I went right. Um, and unfortunately, because I was assaulted in the New York city subway, um, oh my goodness. Which, is, which is a horrible experience. Um, I then at the time, I think I was 19 years old. So my father was like, I don't want you taking the train into the city because I was working in Manhattan. And he was, I want you to stop that. Um, so I started working in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn. So started, they sent me somewhere in Brooklyn and that facility was my first really full-time experience uh, dealing with geriatrics. So it was a long-term care facility, took me on and then pretty much adopted me. They pretty much bought me from the agency. When you work for an agency and you go and work somewhere, they can't hire you because you belong to this agency. But if they really like you, they can pay a fee and take you from them. And that's what happened to me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. Well, so the, the subway experience, yeah. I've never had, you know, I've never done that except for this past year, right? We we have a train system here. It's called the Metrolink. And then it goes to a subway in L.A. Now, the training, the train itself is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. The subway is just, I, I've never been, I've never been on anything like that in LA the subway system in LA is just horrific and so you and that's why my daughter was going to school out there so I would take her on the train right and if it was just a train I would let my daughter go back and forth not a problem it's that it's that 12 minute subway ride that I had to make sure that I went picked her up from the train because the traffic was so bad and then yeah. her and I would have to do the subway ride and I have never seen I can believe that you, you get assaulted in those things and I'm a big guy and you know, and I still got hassled, man. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. So I never let my daughter ride. So what, how old were you when you got assaulted on that? What, I, think what I, was, was that? I was around 19 years old. Cause I remember that was right before I was 
I was 20 when they purchased me. <laughs> I say that right when they purchased me from the agency. And like I said, I was 17. As soon as I got my license, I started working for this agency. So I was about 19 years old, you know, and the thing was, it was a Saturday morning, you know, I was dressed as a nurse and back then you'd wear white uniforms, right? Back then it wasn't these colorful uniforms. Um, now I'm going to date myself. I graduated um, from high school in 1986. So I became a nurse in 1986 at 17. Um, so this was, must've been what? 87, 88, 1988. Um, back then the nurses used to wear white right? So we stuck out like a sore thumb. You knew <laughs> that I was going to work by the way that I was dressed. So I was walking from one very long hallway that connected me from one train to the next. I had to transfer from one train to the next. There was this long hallway um, with nobody in it because it was six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning because mm -hmm. my shift started at seven. So I'm walking through this hallway and I and I saw this guy walking towards me, right? Nothing special about him, except he was tall. And what I was looking at, and as a nurse, and all nurses can associate with this, is that we're constantly assessing you, is what we call. We look at you from head to toe, always. Even when we're not at work, we're looking at people from head to toe, right? So I'm looking at this guy as he's walking towards me, and I'm looking at him head to toe, right? And he had boots in his hand like military boots that had a chain around it. And I, I remember thinking to myself, if he's got that in his hands, what has he got on his feet? And I looked down at his feet and saw that he had sneakers on, right? But he was dressed all in black and had this. And that's not unusual. New York City has a lot of strange individuals, right? So he's walking <laughs> towards me. I'm walking past him. And the minute we cross, he turns around and hits me in the back of the head with these boots. Oh, my. And I'm, and I'm not a big woman and then back then i think i looked like i was 14 so <laughs> and i hit i was 90 pounds soaking wet you know i'm only five feet tall so i hit the wall like i, I with the force I'm, I'm i hit the back of the wall but i turn around because i'm i'm not I'm, I'm just a different kind of woman too from new york so i turn around and i i don't want to curse on your show but i turned around <laughs> and i and i cursed this those guy do slip out, out. Yeah, well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I literally cursed this guy out, you know, called him a son of a bee and, you know, and faced him. Now, this is a big guy. I'm a little girl. But when I'm mad, I think I'm six feet tall. Right. <laughs> so I'm facing like this a little guy. chihuahua. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But I'm, you know, I always say I'm never going down without a fight. If you find me, mm -hmm. God forbid something happens to me. The one thing they're going to say is that there were signs of a struggle because I'm not going down like that. So I turn around ready for the fight of my life. <laughs> right. And That's this so awesome. guy, I had this, um, and this goes to faith. You know, if you're a man of faith and you're going to, you're going to understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I, am. I had this miraculous medal in my pocket that morning. I felt something was going to go wrong. I knew it. I had this intuitive feeling that I didn't want to take the train that morning. And I was anxious. I had waked my brother up and said, hey, can you take me to work this morning? My father worked overnight. My mother was away in Puerto Rico visiting her family. And he was like, nah, I got to get my car fixed. I got stuff to do. I can't take you this morning. Right? So I'm upset at him because he won't take me. And I go clean up. I always straightened up my room before I left. And I had this miraculous medal that belonged to me. Right? Um, and because I was so upset, I couldn't figure out where to put it. So I stuck it in my pocket that morning and took off for work. So. This metal, because of the force that he hit me, happened to fall out of my pocket and onto the floor. I don't know what he saw or what he thought this was. I have no idea. I can't explain it except that it was God. He looks at the floor. He looks at this metal. He looks at me and takes off running. So I grab my metal and I take off running in the other way and start running. The train happens to be right there. I get on the train. A few stops later, I'm off. I start running, 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 running to my job. And when I get there, I say, I've been attacked and just collapse, you know? Uh -huh. And I had, I had been bleeding from the back of the head. I had a concussion, you know, at that point, we they were like, we got to call somebody. I called my dad, he's off of work. And I was like, you know, I need you to come get me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so dad obviously goes to Manhattan, picks me up, is now dealing with this and says, that's it. I don't want you on a train again. You need to figure this out. 
you know, he doesn't want me working, period. I don't want you working. <laughs> Go to school and stay home, you know? Yeah, that's, and well, I'm, I have a daughter. I get what he's saying. Yeah, and I'm like, no, yeah. it's not, it's not what's going to happen. I didn't work this hard to do that, but we'll figure this out. You know, my brother then ended up driving me to work every day until I learned how to drive myself, got my own license and started driving myself around. But, yeah, you know, that's... that changed. That changed my life, that that event, because then when I went to work, I went to long term care. At one point, I left that and I started working for the New York City Department of Health as a public health nurse. And in the first months of taking on that job is when the World Trade Center was hit in 2001. Yeah. So now where so you were where were you when 2000? When 9-11 hit, where were you? So working in Manhattan in less than two miles. I was in within walking distance of the Trade Center. So obviously, you know, the buildings are huge, right? So if I'm like maybe a mile from it, you can look up to the sky and, and there they are, right? So literally, you stand on the street, there's the Trade Center. You see it on your way into work. You're standing on a corner. You look up and there they are. Uh, but it was within walking distance. I could have walked there. Uh, so it's the lower east side of Manhattan is where I worked. And I was working at a public school, an elementary school of pre-K through sixth grade students. I was the school nurse there through the Department of Health. So that's a little different. In New York City, the Department of Health is the people that man the schools in New York City. They provide the nurses um, that then will take care of your children. And in my particular school, we had like a thousand students in that school, um, in that age range. Um, so that morning, obviously it was September. School had just started, opened up. Um, this, you know, so everybody was just arriving because the first plane hit before nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so they were just arriving. And as they were walking into the school, they witnessed many of the students and parents, the first airplane hit the towers as they were walking towards it. Um, and everybody thinking that it was just a horrible accident at that point. Um, so they were coming in crying, upset, traumatized by what they had just seen. And so I was starting to try to help those people, you know, those people that were entering the school and the students that were in shock. I could tell you these students were in shock um, by what they saw. You're talking pre-K through sixth grade. These are little guys, you know, mm. and walking and crying with their parents because of the accident that they had just witnessed. Um, and when that first plane hit, the building that I worked in shook, you know. And the, and the noise was so strong. I thought, you know, when a, when a truck backs up and makes that big loud noise, mm -hmm. uh, right. I thought it was something like that, you know, and like, like right outside the, the school. And I'm like, who the heck is messing around this early in the morning was my thought. <laughs> Somebody is messing around outside. Um, and then as people were coming in, they were sharing this with me. And I, you know, I went to the front and I was like, oh my God, this is awful. Um, until the second plane hit. And then I knew that it was something completely different. Um, so two weeks prior to that event, the public health nurses of New York City, and this is something that you can look up, anybody can Google this, uh, were taken to Columbia University. And we were trained. We, were, we went for a disaster training by the American Red Cross. Um, and in that, in that sitting, in that training, the guy, I remember distinctly saying, it's not a matter of if it will happen, but when, and referenced the World Trade Center bombing that happened a few years before. And this is a new job to me. So I'm like, mm -hmm. what the heck are we being trained for? Mm -hmm. You know? And they were like, well, as public health nurses, whatever assignment you're in, if there's a disaster in the city, you'll be pulled to where we need you. Which is exactly what happened two weeks later. So where did you have to go from that? Where did you have to go from that? When you say you were pulled, what were you pulled to Yeah, do? so that day, obviously, it was a matter of getting these kids. Everything, you know, the communications had gone down in the city. Everybody's fleeing the city. The people that are running from the trade center because they were just told, get out, evacuate, and run, right? So at one point, I go outside, and there's people that are running from the towers. You know, I had gotten a phone call and I, and I talk about this in the book. I had gotten a phone call from the, before the phone lines went down where a coworker called the medical room where I was in to tell me. 
And all she said was, they're jumping. They're jumping. And I was like, I don't, what are you talking about? And she hung up the phone. So I said, you know, my coworker and I are talking about this. She was like, let's go outside. What the heck is happening? So we go outside and we see things that we cannot unsee, mm. you know, and believe me, it was hard for our minds to assimilate what we are looking at and what we're seeing. And we're seeing people wanting to end their lives doing it. So we go back inside. Now, as I'm outside, the people that are running away, because at this point, one of the towers had just started to collapse and they're running towards me, um, grabbed onto me because I had a stethoscope around my neck and um, realized that I was a medical professional, right? So grabbed onto me and were like, we were just told to run and we don't know where we're going. Oh. So, and they already had stuff all over them, you know, soot all over them. So I was like, come inside. I took them in. It was like three or four, three, four young ladies. So as a mom, I'm a mom at this point, right? I, I take them and I take them inside and I wash them up. And I was like, my phone was still working. And I was like, call your mothers, you know, let them know you're safe. And I'm going to lead you to where you need to go to get a train to get out of here and get out of here. You know, so the entire day of that day was spent doing things like that, helping mm -hmm. people that were running, getting the students that were in the school connected with somebody to pick them up. And unfortunately, some of them weren't because, it, you know, we lived in that area. So some of the parents worked in the trade center oh, goodness, um, yeah. and weren't getting picked up. So we were matching them up. And then after that, the next day I received um, communications that, you know, you need to get back in here. We need we need you to, to set up help set up shelters. Uh, so they had taken the schools and turned them into shelters for people that couldn't get out of Manhattan. So people that lived in New Jersey or needed to take a ferry or a train because all transportation had been shut down, they couldn't get home. Or if they lived, the buildings that lived right next to the trade center, because of all that debris, they couldn't make it home. Wow. So. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. I, I told you that I had a story. So one of my, she's number 99. Her name's Mae Markinette. She's my 99th black belt. She's a female. The second train, the second plane that went in, her brother was on it. So uh, her brother was actually on the on the uh, airplane itself. So 9-11, whenever we uh, we have it, you know, we always kind of remember um, him here and remembering that she, you know, she goes every year there, too, when they read the names and stuff like that. So that's what hit us close. And if you ever look on my other podcasts, I have one named Ronnie, Ronnie. Uh, Camacho is his name. He was supposed to be on the one plane. He was a he was an airline. Uh, he worked for the airlines there, and he was supposed to be on that plane. But something came up where he does. He he speaks about this story on that on that podcast that that was supposed to be his plane home, and his mom thinking he was on that plane. It's quite a story that he has too. I mean, so. These stories that you guys have, but being there too, right there at the, you know, at, at the war zone, it was, I'm sure, yes, you know, you even spoke off camera there a little bit about workers that we don't even know about, you know, like you were talking about. Uh, the sanitation workers. Yeah. yeah, they were there every single day alongside with the police, the firemen, people that came from all over just to, to help. Because at that point we thought, you know, it was a recovery. We were trying to get live people out of there we thought they were buried there and we needed to get them out right so the, initially these people came ready you know to do whatever needed to be done and then after that it was a matter of cleanup and being able to you know identify people bring people home so that you know families could have closure identify if they were in there or not you there's so many stories of people who were supposed to be there and weren't and then mm -hmm. because communications are down, you don't know if your person is in there or not. They could have made it out. Maybe they didn't go to work, but there was no way for you to call them and find out that they were okay. And that went on for a very long time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty heartbreaking to say the least. Well, let me ask you this. So you, you got to be right there in the thick of it. So I know that even out here, it, I, I you know, I remember sometimes I remember it like it was yesterday and, you know, we I would sit in the parking lot of a grocery store or something like that and just kind of contemplating on what just went down here. And 
um, so pissed off, right? Like, man, who the frick attacked us, man? And uh, I was one of those guys that wanted to go. I wanted to go and get after it, right? And I just, I was, you know, I'm past that age at that time. I couldn't, you know, wouldn't have been, wouldn't been able to do it. But I was uh, super taken back by that. But the community here, man, did they come together? What was it like in New York? And what is it like still today? Is there still this? What's it like at 9-11 in New York as opposed to anywhere else? What's that like? Well, I will tell you that right after that, and New York is known for our, you know, we're, we're always in our own little world. Nobody gets involved, right? You're rushing, rushing, rushing all the time. But right after that, even, even that same day, one of the things that I do talk about is that fellowship, you know, because I had just started working there, I think in April of that same year, you know, during the school year. So I had literally just met all these people that I was working with. They didn't know me. We hadn't had an opportunity to develop a real relationship. So me being in that school in the beginning, you know, these people knew I didn't live in Manhattan. I lived in Brooklyn. So it was like you, it, the teachers would come down to the room and said, hey, we know you don't live here. So if you can't get home, here's my address. You can come stay with me. Unheard of before 9-11, mm. right? That you would let a, a total stranger in your home. Um, the girl that I worked with, my coworker at the time, you know, I had met her a couple times, but it wasn't like we were close, close. But I will tell you, she, when she left me, like she was going to go work in a different web, uh, different work site. And I was by myself in that medical room dealing with this. All of a sudden, she came in and she lived across the street from, from the school. And she said, I couldn't leave you. Like she was already safe home and left. She told her husband, the nurse that's in that building is new. I can't leave her. I got to go back and get her. Mm. And she ran back. And when she went in, it was like me seeing God because I was, I, I was navigating, you know, because I'm, I'm a smart person, you know, I can figure this out, but having somebody that knew what to do within this organization um, was so key. And when she walked in and said, I couldn't leave you, you know, she and I became sisters after that. You know, because when I finally was able to leave the city to go home, because I was determined to go home, I had a nine month old that was still breastfeeding, a three year old little girl. You know, my last communications with them in the morning was me promising my family that I would make it home, right? Before the phone lines went down. So they knew that my determination was I got to get home. They found a nurse to relieve me there six, seven o'clock at night so that I could start walking home. And I literally handed my keys to her. All my belongings, I handed over to this woman that I had just literally met. And I took my ID and a $20 bill and said, I'm walking, <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> and you've got all my belongings, you know? And it was like that. Then two other nurses came and said, hey, we heard you're from Brooklyn and we heard you're walking, right? And we're going to go with you. So people that I had just met were rallying in the streets. We were like figuring things out for each other, hugging each other, um, wow. blessing each other. And that continued for a very, very long time. Is it the same now? I, d I don't know. I don't think so. You know, yeah. I think things happen like COVID just happened to bring us again together. We forget the more time that goes by. Yes. It's been 21 years. We tend to forget yes. that until something else happens. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I think uh, human beings are inherent, inherently good people. I just, uh, yes. you know, even though in my profession, I go after the ones that aren't, but uh, I, I find it more more often that I, I tell people too when they learn martial arts. I said, some of us like myself. I said it doesn't. It's easy for me to flip script and 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 be a protector, but I said most people that's out of their comfort zone because most people are good people to be honest with you. But boy, right. it's it's rough when it's not. So, well, let's uh let's talk about um. Let's talk about your book that you're going to release. So let's let's talk about the, the title of it first. Yeah. So the title is When the Answer is No, Finding Purpose Through Pain. Mm -hmm. And basically it's, you know, a lot of times we hope and pray for a positive outcome to situations. And when we don't get what we hope and pray for, it feels like the universe is giving us a resounding no, that we're not worthy 
of what we're praying for, right? Some people get it, some people don't. So it takes you through my journey of me feeling that way. And I know I'm not alone because I've heard this from so many people. Why me, right? Why do I have to go through this? Um, but when it, when it came to 9-11, I suffered from PTSD after that. You know, we talk about, you know, what does that do to you? Um, because war, we usually associate PTSD with war, with uh, people who go off to war, the army, the Navy, the, you know, the veterans. Um, we don't think about that when it comes to us. But with 9-11, the war was brought to the civilians. It was brought home to us. And we weren't ready for it. We were not. So it's a matter of how did I heal from that? Because I needed to heal from that in order to get better. And then seven years after that incident, when I finally think I'm turning the corner, I have a little girl named Isabella, who at the age of seven months old was diagnosed with a rare leukemia. So dealing with that um, diagnosis in itself in a baby, um, and then finding out that the only treatment for her type of cancer was a bone marrow transplant. That's it. There was no chemo out there that was gonna work to fight this disease. Um, and my family, my other two children and myself and my husband, we were not matches for her. So when we're talking about bone marrow transplants and those that don't know what that is, right? Your, your bone marrow, uh, your cells are what makes your red blood cells, your white blood cells. So when you talk about a cancer of the bone marrow, right? A, a blood cancer, uh, your body doesn't make them normally. So you're, you're subject to infections. You're subject to a lot of things happening to your body because of it, because the cancer makes you make abnormal cells. So the cells that are produced aren't effective. They won't fight infection. They won't carry oxygen. They won't do the things that you need them to do. So you need to eradicate that, get rid of that cancer in there and replace it with a healthy, with healthy cells. So we need those healthy cells from somebody else. That's why it's called a transplant. You're given somebody else's cells, they're healthy, and they will now in your body produce these healthy cells. So we weren't matches. And the best possible, you know, it's usually from your own ethnic background. So one of the first things we were told was as a Hispanic, I was gonna have a tough time finding that match because there's a low percentage of Hispanics in the Be The Match National Bone Marrow Registry. So that's a registry where people sign up saying, here's my DNA. And if I'm a DNA match for someone else, then potentially I can give my bone marrow to that person. So there was just not a, a high presence of that. And that was back in 2007 when she was diagnosed. Um, so they, I was told, you know, get on TV, get in the newspaper, start having bone marrow drives because it's gonna be hard. You know, so mm. the book talks about that and uh, and healing from those type of things, healing from grief, trauma and stress. But my biggest thing is bringing attention to that. There is still a need for people of Hispanic, black and mixed ethnicity backgrounds to join the registry because it's not it's still not what I find would be ideal. So let's say if you're Caucasian, if you're white. You have a 79% chance of finding a match on that registry if you have something that you need a transplant for. If you're Hispanic like me, it drops to 48%. If you're Black, that drops to 29%. And if you're mixed ethnicity, and let's face it, who these days isn't mixed, right? We've mm -hmm. got a lot of different combinations. And depending on oh. your particular combination, it could be even less than that. So what is it? What is, so so while we have people here listening and then the replays of this, what is it? You know, I'm not. On, I don't think I'm on a list. I don't think I've ever done that. So what does that entail to do? Yeah, very simple procedure. It is right now. It is the requirement is you have to be between the ages of 18 and 40 in good health. Mm -hmm. So if you're between those ages, right, and in, in pretty good health, you don't have to be perfect health, but in pretty good health then uh, it's a simple swab of your cheek. And we're all familiar with swabs these days, right? Because of COVID, but it's not like that at all. It is even easier than brushing your teeth. You, a few seconds on each side of your cheek, the swab, you put it in, uh, you send the swab out back to the company and then you're on the registry. 
It's as as simple as that. It's joining the kit gets sent to your home or if you had a drive at a physical drive, you get swabbed right there and your information is then put into a database. And if you're a match for someone, they reach out to you and they say, hey, you know, you're a match for this person. Are you willing to go through further testing to see if you match them at a higher level? So some blood work is involved in that um, and a physical to make sure that you match them at this higher level and that you're healthy and that you're good to do this. Now, a lot of people are hesitant um, to do this, to say, I'm going to become a donor uh, because they, it used to be the process where they would have to go into your hip bone and extract the marrow right from the inside. So the marrow is a soft part inside everybody's bones and they take that out with a syringe. But today, 85% of the time, it's as simple as giving blood. They take the blood from your arm. It's called peripheral uh, blood stem cells. They take it right from there. They take the stem cells that they need and the rest of your blood is given back to you. You're monitored for a couple of hours at the hospital. This is all free for you if, if you're if you're a person um, monitored by the physicians and then and then you're on your way. Um, I talked to Isabella's donor. So Isabella did have a donor. She she ended up having a match. Um, and I asked him how his process was. And he said his was like that. They took it just like if it was taking blood from him. Um, he was there sitting at the, at the hospital, you know, with the nurses. Um, they, they took it from him. And um, afterwards, he said he just felt tired. Like they put him up in a hotel. Um, so he says, I just went. I was tired. I felt like I was getting uh, catching something or a little bit run down. But by the next day, he was out with his kids at the amusement park. Um, no side effects and feeling fine. So that so your your daughter had that was a match for her, yes, and still lost the battle. Lost the battle not because of the transplant. So the transplant was extremely successful. Um, and Mike has allowed me to say his name. His name is Mike Hensley out of Oklahoma. was was her donor. So I want to give a shout out to him um, for being my hero. Yes, and because of him, I was given six more months with my daughter because she was fading fast. And because of him, she got out of that hospital as fiery as her mama. <laughs> and, and we had, you know, the summer playing and just being a normal little girl, you know, growing with her siblings. Um, unfortunately, in October of that year, she developed an infection. Uh, she had an infection in one of her legs, uh, like a, a skin infection. Um, and, in, and on top of that, she uh, had a respiratory infection. So she caught a cold. Um, like RSV, which is a it's a normal it's a normal infection for children that have normal immune systems, right? But when you when you give it to somebody, and we all know this because of COVID, right? Those people that have compromised immune systems get sicker than those that have good ones. Well, hers right. was still mm-hmm. compromised, even though she had this transplant. She was getting steroids and she was getting other medications that her her immune system was still compromised. So that when she got sick, it wreaked havoc on her little body. She was only 19 months old and her body's trying to fight these infections and, and she just couldn't fight anymore. She couldn't mm. fight anymore. So I lost her a year later, not to this, but to complications of something else, which is very devastating to say the least that you fight this, you fight these battles for a year. This little baby is, is going to the hospital, getting chemo infusions waiting for her transplant gets her transplant um and is doing well and then you lose her like this you know yeah that's yeah that's uh that's tough you know that is my tough sister, my, my sister lost a child too and so uh it was that's that's it's pretty devastating so it's 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 hard to even come up with words what to say to somebody you know what i mean what what, yeah. what 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 can be said out, out outside of uh, uh you I'm know sorry you know yeah. it's, right I, i'm sorry and at least you know the memories i guess from from what that is is what 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 carries you through i would imagine so you have other 100. children now you have other children yes 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 i'm a mother of four yeah isabella um, being number 3 um so yeah i had two older children and then after isabella i had a, a little a little guy who's now 11 <laughs> Yeah, his name is Lorenzo. Yeah. He's 11 now. Yeah, he was born after. He's my rainbow baby, as they call them. You know, it's a child that you have after the loss of another. Um, 
but one of the one of the things I, I i honor her life so one of the things that gets me through is not focusing on her passing or the way that she passed or mm -hmm. you know the heartbreaking part of that story but all the lessons that i learned in that year that we had together you know and bringing forth what i call her legacy and that is that whole journey of finding a match and bringing attention to that and and how that you know impacts so many others not just her there are so many children out there so many people out there that need this life-saving gift and because we don't we don't have enough education out there for this particular uh, demographic you know um they don't know you didn't know how to join how no. easy it is how easy it is to do that mm. so we need to get that word and that knowledge out there um and one of the things i learned just to just to, even though she found her match so i'm a nurse and i collect everything so as she was going through her process i was collecting all the lab work that was being done so that i could study and obsess over it um so <laughs> i had taken the results of our typing right to see if we were matches for her and i had copies of that back in 2007 you could go on to the registry enter that information and it would tell you if you had a match out there it wouldn't tell you where how you know it would tell you how many so when i put her information in there i saw that she had matches which was fantastic right i said oh my god there's people that match her out there so then i decided to put in everybody else's i put in my husband he had some matches out there but guess who didn't me zero none my other two children i put theirs in they didn't either so out of in my family had it been me or my other two children there was nobody out there for us she was the only one that even had a chance to fight this thing you know but with that and when i saw that i remember calling my husband over and saying oh my god look at this you know no matter what happens we have to continue to do drives we have to continue to bring attention to this you know because look look i don't have nobody out there god forbid i have this you know or something that i needed i don't have anybody out there neither do my children so after that we continue to do drives we continue to do things to bring attention but it's not enough it's just not enough my oldest daughter who was nine ten years old when this happened nine years old when her sister was diagnosed and 10 when she passed now works for be the match the organization that helps you find mm. your match. She mm. is now the person that helps you do that. And she shared with me in January, she goes, you know, I have these patients that I'm trying to find, you know, matches for, and I'm having drives and it's still hard, still hard for them to do that. And that was an aha moment for me saying, you know what? I'm not doing enough. I got to do something different. I have to do something different. And that's the book. And that's me coming out of my comfort zone. I'm not a public speaker. I've never taken mm -hmm. a stage to talk about this. I said, so now I'm going to do something different so that I can bring attention to more people of our need for this and bring Isabella's legacy, the lessons learned forward and continue to honor her life with this. Well, that's uh, right. That's how we honor people is through our, the legacy of that. That's a, uh, yeah, that's 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 and, and listen to, so listening to you how old's your daughter now your oldest one that's doing this 24 years old she's 24 now and so obviously that impacted her to go this route i would imagine yes as far she's as part of my goes, book right? this is this is called finding your purpose you know mm -hmm. and when she lost her sister she always said i want to do something now this is a, a little girl right i want to be somebody like the people that helped us through this journey initially she wanted to be a child life specialist because that's the person that helped her navigate her sister's illness they pick you up you know they do play therapy with you um they explain everything to you so my children thankfully because i was a children's hospital of philadelphia so it was right here close to home were able to visit their sister every day while we were in the hospital and that person would come and pick up my son would never go but my daughter would always go and was helping her. So she said, I want to be that person, the person that helped me. I want to, I want to help other kids like me, but through her journey in college ended up, you know, um, helping people do bone marrow drives in her college. She was part of a sorority and all that, um, became a volunteer with be the match with the ICLA de Silva foundation, actually, which is the people that came to her school, 
and she got an internship with them in her senior year. And she was like, this is like, I think I want to do this. You know, this is still helping people like us, truly bringing attention. And she honors her sister every day in the work that she does. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. Isn't it life and God have a way of putting things to together for good. And it, it's always been something like that. You know, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite a story. I wouldn't mind talking to her. To yeah, you, you should, you should. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'd like to talk to her to see, cause that's a whole different perspective on what it's yes. like and then what it turned her life into. And then, you know, letting more people out about, you know, you hear about this bone marrow, but you, I, you know, you got to get with somebody that, um, uh, you got to get with somebody that's experienced it so you can get the stories behind it. Right. You know, yeah. cause you can hear, Oh, you need to go do a bone, a bone marrow drive. And, but the importance of it, I think is, is better. I mean, you can, even at my studio, I mean, I've got, I have 250 students at my one school, you know what I mean? Another hundred at the other school. I haven't done anything. I've been in business for 32 years. No one's ever approached me and say, Hey, can we do a bone marrow drive at the school? No one's ever yeah. asked me that. Look at that. Look at that. So, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing things like this, Mark, where you bring me on to a podcast where I'm able to reach people now in your state, right? Uh -huh. Not just in my little part of the world, but in other parts of the world where we can now connect you with people, you know, that can, because there's representatives of Be The Match in your, where you are. And we can connect you with them and you can have drives and you can help me bring Isabella's mission forward. Yeah, I, I, uh, look at, see, this is the owner, uh, my other school. I haven't seen me. This is Jay. He's, uh, he's the one that runs that school for all purposes. It's his school to be honest with you. But, uh, he's, he said the same thing. Let's do it. Now he's in the healthcare. He's in the healthcare industry also. Uh, and so I just, I never thought about it until we had this talk. You know what I mean? No, I mean, nobody has ever approached, approached me you. and you know, I have influence where I'm at. And let's see, I've been part of the, you know, I was elected on the uh, Chamber of Commerce here. Uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very in tune to my, in my community. And we've never talked about it as a community to have a bone marrow thing ever. Wow. Wow. Okay. Right. And so it's just, uh, but I haven't, I haven't came across anybody that, this something like this hasn't come across my school where somebody had a uh, uh, a blood disorder like this that needed to to have this kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because I know this. If it was one of my students, you can bet I'd be on a mission. And uh, absolutely. Uh, but you know, it's like anything else, preparation or or whatever. You know, God. I think God designed us to be. That's how we help each other. I think that's how we've. This COVID thing, you know, I think there's a, an immune that's happened now throughout this thing. And, you know, that's how we get get better. You know, we got to heal through each other in order to move forward. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think I want to talk to your daughter next. I, I yes. think that would be a good podcast with her. I'd like Absolutely. to hear the perspective of what it's, you know, what it's like. And, um, you know, it's, you know. If you've heard some of my stories too, you know, you've heard some of my stories, but you know, I've lost my nephew about, you know, almost three years ago to a rare, it wasn't a blood disease, but it was a tumor that he had. He's a firefighter and, uh, it was my sister's middle boy and he's young, five kids. He didn't get to see his daughter. She was born two weeks after his death. And, uh, that was a devastating, um, that was a devastating loss to my family it still kind of lingers, you know, talking to my sister and stuff like that. And the grief that it is, I see that you've taken your grief and you've turned it into, uh, you know, a mission. And, and that's and what I this is. That, uh, this is I think that's, is. you know, you well, talking to you here, I can see we, ha we've only got to, you know, talk briefly to each other on the, on the, you know, on some of our uh, zoom calls, but yeah, I can definitely tell that you're just kind of a driven, you know, no nonsense type of woman. So it's, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that you said, okay, I mean, jump out of our comfort zone and this is what I'm going to do. And yeah, the story I'm doing that, it and I'll figure you know, it out later. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think that's you know I tell everybody that too. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta jump in. You gotta jump in. You can't sit and think about it because you're gonna sit and think yourself right out of it. You that's gotta right. jump in and do it. And I agree with you know I tell everybody that when you when well, I don't care if it's a martial arts journey or whatever journey you are, you can't come to me and say, hey, I'm gonna get in shape and then I'm gonna come and take class. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, you can't. I tell everybody if you're gonna do any kind of martial arts uh, or something, you gotta jump in. That you gotta jump in it. You know, you can't run. You can run till you're blue in the face, run until you're blue in the face and somebody wants to attack you. None of that's going to help you. You know what right. I mean? You got to get in here and, and, and get after it. So that's an yeah, that's an awesome tribute. Now, what we need, what I'm going to do, too, I want to make sure that because your book is in pre-order now. Is your book complete? Yes. My book, book is complete. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. It's done. It's just ready to roll for January. Uh, so but you can uh, pre-order the book now. Yeah. So how, what was your, what was your experience, uh, uh, writing it? Did you have uh, tears writing it? Did you have, yes, uh, I, yeah, because I wasn't a person that journaled either, even though throughout her journey, people would tell me, you should write this down. You should share this story because there's so many stories that came out of just being in the hospital and my viewpoint as a nurse going through this versus a regular person who's going through this. Right. So I had a different perspective of everything that was happening at that hospital and everything that I was witnessing and seeing. Um, not just with my own daughter, but with all the children that were there. Um, but I never did it because I always said, because writing it down made it real for me. And there's a part of me that didn't want this to be real. So it became real when I sat down and had to start writing about it. My first chapter was about 9-11. I literally started getting flashbacks as I was writing it mm -hmm. and feeling it. And I had to stop and I had to put it away, you know? And I was like, oh, well, the, the, you know, the book is about healing, right? And I and I used a tool. I called that person that I mentioned to you that was in the room with me, the medical room, because she's the only other person that knows what I was going through. And I called her to tell her, listen, I'm having a breakdown. I'm having flashbacks. And she talked me down. One of the tools of the toolbox that I give you is finding who your support system is so that when you need it, you got it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I also mentioned things of how to help heal. So it was hard, just like you're talking about. There's tears, there's emotions, there's putting it down. There's like, I can't do this. And then I have to do this because the end game is that when I'm done, somebody's going to feel better because of this. Somebody's life is going to be saved. This is not just about getting a book out there. It's about saving lives, uh -huh. whether it's emotional or whether physical, because you've joined the registry inside each book. There's, gonna, there's a page there that links you right to be the match through a special code that says, you know what, it's Isabella's story that touched me and I'm joining the registry because of her, right? So there's a link inside of each book and a portion of the proceeds of the book is going to the Isabella Morales Foundation where I continue to work to bring education to those demographics that need the education. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's just uh, you know, just a mission that is because I had those same I had that same experience. I think uh, I've told you that I think in my in my world when I had to write about uh, Carlos, he's the he's the one that was killed by a drunk driver on the way to the studio, and that was a brutal. I'm the one that called him uh, to ask him to cover that class. It was a rainy night. A Wednesday rainy night, and I called Carlos and said, "Hey, can you take this class for me? It's Black Belt Club class." And he said, "Sure, Mister Cox, I'll run down there." And on his way there, he was killed by a drunk driver head-on. I'll never forget that. That I'll never forget that phone call. And uh, you know, but we've kept him. We've kept him alive for, for in that in that studio also. So I've always had a mission. He he loved the martial arts, and and so I've always had a kind of a mission to to do the same thing. So it's, it's, it's awesome that you have that, that drive. I dig it, man. It's, uh, I remember you telling that story on one of our other Zooms yeah. and I've never forgotten that story because sometimes we make decisions like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just changes your world. It just changes everything. But sometimes again, back to when you feel like the answer is no, you find purpose and you keep them alive. Maybe this happened for a reason. For you uh -huh. to be able to bring that story forward and show people that a different tweak, a different perspective can bring honor to those that are fallen. Yes, 100%. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Marilyn. Very true. So you're bringing yeah. honor to him with your book. And that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, uh, 
Yeah, this is good. This is uh, this has been good for me to have. You know, I've learned something today on on that. I'm going to ask about that. I'm going to ask that question, uh, and I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to get with you or your Let's daughter, I guess, and say, okay, how do we go about doing this? Yeah, no, I, we're going to connect. I, I, yeah. I, I, let's fly out there. Let's do this in California. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, yeah, I'm down for that. You know what I mean? It's uh, uh. I'm telling you, my school would rally. I just know it's just the kind of people that I have yes. uh, around me. And I I got even more than that. I have, I'll be in Georgia in, in a few weeks. And then I fly to Virginia uh, to uh, this, the school in Virginia, the, the school that I go in Georgia mm-hmm. is massively huge. He's got 500 students. And when he moves, when he makes a move in his community, it's a major move. And if I have them jump on this, you'll have a whole nother East Coast martial arts school. I've got so many martial arts schools underneath me that if we made this a mission as part of what we do as an organization, I believe that we can do something good in every one of the schools that there would be a drive in every school, in oh every God, martial arts school. I would absolutely love that. I know that Be The Match does something called Get In The Game, where they do this um, in colleges with football players. So this is something that maybe we can mm-hmm. turn into for the martial arts school. I would absolutely love that. That would honor me. It would honor my daughter and honor every person that we're looking to save lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it, this is what's weird about these podcasts that I do. You know, what comes out of them, um, every time I do one, it's like, uh, stuff that I didn't know about something that, how can we get, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a doer. I don't like to talk about stuff and not do it. Um, and I think, I think that, I think that I, my connections could help with in, in these communities, martial arts schools are known for that. They're known to be a community leader. You know, I know that my community, my big school here in Chatsworth, I know, this small town, believe it or not, it just, they feel better that I'm around. You know what I mean? That my school's here on this corner. And uh, my son, who's 30 now, he'd be able to jump on there. And I think what you need to do is get that, you know, we get this, this story out, you know, and uh, I get my, get you on a call with all my leaders that all own the schools, let them know what your mission is. And I think that, especially my uh, American Krav Maga Federation. I know, I know that they would jump in and we would make this, we, we would make something, we would get some donors out of it for sure. hundred percent. You know, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people that, uh, uh, they're, the martial artists are just kind of like that. They'll rally. Yeah. So this is what they are. So love. And you know, my, my family is a lover of martial arts. My brothers took martial arts. Um, they didn't get as far as you. My husband was taking Wing Chun uh, uh-huh. for a long time until he got hurt. And now my sons are looking to enroll. So, yeah, that's we good. love that. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's good. It's really good, man. This was this had been. Uh, yeah, this this I told you this hour would go by quick. And, you know, and here we are. But I think that uh, what I want you to end with is uh, where to get your book. Okay. Uh, I want you to tell everybody where, where they can pre-order that. I'll have it. Uh, I do, I'll have an audio podcast of this also. So we do this live, but I'll have it, uh, in audio format so people can just listen to it, you know, through, you know, my stuff is on Spotify and, uh, you know, Apple podcasts and most pod, most podcast people, they can find my podcast at, and then you can share it so we can share your story and and get out there and and get after it and and your daughter's name is isabella if i remember right correct isabella yeah right isabella. I, I think you have a sister on here is it your sister that's listening lord get, get busy for izzy is that what yeah, she that, said? that yeah, was our cool. battle cry that was our battle yeah. cry during her thing is let's get busy for izzy <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah she's on here yeah she's on here listening we had a lot of people i just want to make sure we say hi to everybody that said hi to you uh, emilio uh came on here quite often danielle has been on here my buddies um, yeah the, i'm a family yeah carrie was here let's see walker was here and emilio raul saying thank you he's probably signing off and out about now so that's good so go ahead and tell everybody uh 
So you where, can you can pre-order my book at Izzy's Legacy.com. I-Z-Z-Y-S-L-E-G-A-C-Y. Izzy's Legacy.com. You can pre-order my book. You'll get a signed copy right from me. You can read about my mission. And in addition to that, you can sign up from the registry right from my website. So if you're hearing this and you don't want to wait for a drive, and I encourage people to do that, if this story has touched you, please go on to the website. It's under Save a Life. And it goes right there. You answer some questions. The kit will be sent right to you. It takes less than three minutes for you to swab your cheeks and send it right back. And there you're in. No cost to you. Yes. It is. So we got That's that. It. Yeah. Emilio's putting it out there for you, too. Thank you, Emilio. Got Thank your you. Web, got your website. Danielle's put it out there, too, to pre-order the book. We'll get it out there. And, we'll, you know, we're going to get after it. And uh, we'll see what we can collaborate together. And yes. uh, I'll get I'll get with you some more so you can introduce me to your daughter. I'd like to get that perspective of her. And uh, we do another one of these and we'll collaborate and let's see what we can do with the schools. Um, Amen. Thank we'll you. Be able, Thank we'll you. be able to do something. God bless. All right. Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this, Mark. <laughs> All right. All right, All right. Marilyn. You have, have a, a good day, day at work. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.